Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. At Beth Emanuel, we are proclaiming the vital gospel message of the coming kingdom of heaven. If you share our passion for this message, please support this teaching ministry and messianic community with your prayers and financial contributions. To learn how, click on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. Everyone is familiar with the story of Yaakov Avinu, Jacob our father, and how he used a stone for a pillow the night that he saw the vision of the ladder ascending to heaven. Upon the ladder, he saw angels ascending and descending, and above the ladder, a vision of Hashem. And he woke in the morning and declared, How fearsome is Hamakom! How fearsome is this place! This place is none other than the house of God, Beit El, Bethel, and I did not know it. The idea of Jacob's ladder has become idiomatic for an ascent to heaven. In the ancient Near Eastern context, the sulam, the ladder, would have been a ziggurat, or to put it into the language of Led Zeppelin, a stairway to heaven. This was a favorite story of our master Yeshua, who uniquely identified with the person of Yaakov in this story. Early Jewish mystical tradition, recorded in the Midrash Rabbah and in the Talmud, said that in this vision, Yaakov is the image of Adam, the Ben-Adam, the son of man, so to speak. In the image of Adam, whose image below is made in the image of the image above, graven upon the throne of glory, like the face of a man, it says regarding one of the four faces of the four living creatures that surround the throne. And according to this esoteric tradition, the angels below ascended to look upon the image above and then descended to compare it with the one below, and those above descended to look upon the image below and compare it with the one above. And our master Yeshua seems to allude to this esoteric teaching when he says to Nathaniel bar Ptolemy, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of Hashem ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And he certainly alludes to the story of Yaakov's dream at Bethel, when he warned his would-be disciples, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Ben-Adam, the son of man, has no place to lay his head. For our master Yeshua likens, likens himself unto Yaakov Avinu, who, when fleeing from the land of promise, had no place to lay his head. But did you realize that the story of Jacob's ladder, Yaakov's ladder, is actually a story about the sanctity of the land of Israel, about the exile of the Jewish people leaving the land of Israel, and about their ultimate inheritance in the Holy Land, this place, Hamakom. Consider the context of the story. Yaakov Avinu, Jacob our father, was fleeing from Eretz Canaan, the land of Canaan. Why was he fleeing? He was fleeing from his brother Esau. And why was he fleeing from Esau? Because he was in a contest with his brother Esau for the land of Canaan. The whole story about Yaakov and Esau is about a, comp a competition for the land of Israel, a central theme of the Bible, which 
and goes back to my premise from a few weeks ago that the whole Bible on a simple literal level is primarily concerned with God's promise to Abraham that his descendants, his seed, the Jewish people inherit the land. Understood from this perspective, this is why Jacob and Esau were wrestling in the womb of their mother Rivka. And Hashem told Rivka, two nations are in your womb. They were wrestling for the right to emerge first. Because to the firstborn goes the inheritance, that is, the double portion. And with the double portion goes the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan, which God had promised to Avraham, and which he bequeathed to his son Yitzchak. And that's what's at stake as the boys wrestle. And that's why Yaakov is still clutching the heel of Esau, because he's not willing to forfeit the land of Israel that had been promised to Avraham. That's what he demands in exchange for the soup. And that's what he is after when he disguises himself as Esau and intercepts Yaakov's blessing. He's going for the land of Israel. So at this point in the story, it seems that things have gone tragically wrong for Yaakov. Instead of acquiring the right to inherit the land as he had hoped, he's forced to flee from the land of promise, and he's going into exile, away from the land. He's about to leave the land when he camps down for the night, and has this vision of a ladder and angels, and the Lord appears to him and speaks an oracle to him. The Torah says, He came to a certain place and spent the night there, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place, and he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place. The Torah does not ordinarily tell us about sunrises and sunsets. There's only one other place that I can think of in the Torah's sparse and economical narrative that it mentions the setting sun so explicitly like this, and that's in Genesis 15, which is the story of Abraham's covenant with Hashem, where Hashem promises to give Abraham the land. In that passage, we read in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Avram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Avram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed. This is exile that's being described. The darkening of the sky, the setting of the sun, the onset of nightfall symbolizes exile. The concealment of the divine light, that's exile. So the sages interpret this dream not as just a dream, but as Abraham's nightmare. Abraham has a nightmare. It says deep sleep falls upon him, and he nay, behold, he is dreaming. And what's he dreaming about? Terror great darkness that fall upon him. The sages interpreted those words, terror, great, darkness, falling, to, re to refer to four empires that subjugate the Jewish people. These are the four empires from Nebuchadnezzar's vision, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the four empires 
of Daniel's dream of the four beasts. They are Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Edom, which is Rome, the Roman Empire. In this nightmare that Abraham has as the sun goes down, he is terrified and fearful as he sees the Babylonian deportation of his children from the land of promise. Babylon, the Mesopotamian empires of Assyria and Babylon, the deportations of the north and the south, ending with the fall of Jerusalem. And, and he's, he's terrified by the great darkness of Persia, the imperial power that toppled Babylon and takes control of the Middle East during that period of, of exile with Haman and the story of Esther and, the, and then ultimately the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and the return to the land of Israel and the end of exile. But it's not over yet because then comes Alexander the Great and Greece, the nation that afflicts the Jewish people and tries to eliminate Jewishness by forcing assimilation and so forth, culminating in the Maccabean revolt and the story of Hanukkah. And then the fourth beast, the terrifying beast, the iron beast, Rome. You know, there's actually another cryptic reference to these four beasts in the Haftarah portion for this Parsha, uh, Vayetze. And that's in Hosea chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. It says, So I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard. I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will devour them like a lioness as a wild beast would tear them. So the prophet Hosea compares the Lord's coming wrath against Ephraim to the attack of a wild animal. In fact, he compares the Lord to four wild animals, a lion, a leopard, a bear, and a lioness, a terrifying beast. According to the 19th Torah scholar Malbim, these four beasts represent four empires that have oppressed the people of Israel, the same four empires that we see in Daniel. The lion represents Assyria and Babylon, as in Daniel chapter 7 verse 4, it says, the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. The bear represents the kingdom of Persia, as it says in Daniel 7 5, and behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. The leopard is the Hellenist empire of Alexander the Great, as it says in Daniel 7, 6. After this, I kept looking and behold another one like a leopard. Finally, the fourth beast is the Roman empire. As it says in Daniel 7, 7, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. This fourth beast the beast of the Roman Empire, the exile that took place under the Roman Empire, is the exile that persists to this day. But then Abraham is told, although his children will be enslaved under a foreign power, they will return to this land. And the Torah says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Avram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, which is to say, north to south, from the river to the sea. And it's in regard to this future vision of an end of exile and the final redemption 
that our master was able to say, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. There is an end to the nightmare. Hashem appears as a flaming torch to dispel the darkness. And the sun also does rise upon Yaakov as he returns back to the land of Israel, back to the land of Canaan, in the next Torah portion. So you see the relationship between the setting sun, which symbolizes going into exile, as here in Genesis 15, Abraham's nightmare, and also in Genesis 28, as Jacob leaves the land, going into exile. And the rising sun, behold, your light has come, symbolizes the redemption as Genesis 15, the Lord appears as a flaming torch to dispel the darkness. And in next week's Torah portion, uh, Parshat Vayishlach, as Yaakov crosses the Yavok and enters back into the land of Israel, the sun rises upon him. A generation after the Lord made this covenant with Abraham to give his children the land, the Lord appeared to Isaac, his son, and said, Don't leave this land. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. Genesis 26, verse 3. And a generation later, here we are, in this Torah portion, at Bethel, with Yaakov, Isaac's son, and Yaakov is having a dream. He sees a ladder. He sees angels ascending and descending. How many angels did he see? The Midrash Rabbah infers that he saw four angels, obviously four angels, because it says angels, that's plural, more than one, and two is more than one, ascending and angels, that's plural, two, so two is more than one, descending, angels ascending, two ascending, angels descending, two descending, so that's got to be four. And what do the angels represent? Well, the four angels could represent the four archangels, the four directions, the four cherubim. There's lots of explanations, the four corners of the earth. But one explanation from the Midrash Rabbah correlates back to Abraham's nightmare and says this is Yaakov's nightmare. According to this explanation, the angels who were ascending and descending upon Jacob ascended and descended as the rising and falling of foreign empires that were destined to dominate Israel in the centuries to come. Accordingly, as Jacob entered this portentous exile, leaving the land of promise behind him, he foresaw when his children would be deported from the land of promise, and he foresaw the angelic princes, the Sarim of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, rising and falling. Midrash Tanhuma says, The prince of Babylon ascending and descending. The prince of Persia ascending and descending. The prince of Greece ascending and descending. The prince of Edom, that is Rome, ascending and descending. And in the book of Daniel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia makes an appearance as a malevolent, angelic, spiritual being, the spiritual head of the Persian Empire, the power, the principality that resists the angels Gabriel and Michael, who were attempting to answer Daniel's prayers in exile and interpret these dreams. 
Along the same lines, the apostles referred to the angels over the nations as powers and principalities against whom we wrestle. Tanhuma says that Jacob cried out in his sleep, terrified of the angelic princes and the dark years of exile that they symbolized, and he asked, Will this exile last forever? The Lord replied, in the words of Jeremiah 30.10-11, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob will return, and will be quiet and at ease, and no one will make him afraid. Okay, that's what the Midrash says. That's the Midrash on this passage. What does it literally say? Let's take a look at the actual literal text of the Torah to see what this dream that Yaakov is having is actually about, the dream of the ladder and the angels. Because here we are, a generation after Isaac, and the Lord appears to Yaakov in this dream, and he says to him, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. So that's what the dream is about. Your seed will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, even into exile, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Yaakov awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Hashem is in this place, that is, in this land, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! How fearsome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Genesis 28, 15-17 I'm emphasizing this point because it is the main plot of the Bible. The big story arc that runs through the whole Bible is the story of the relationship of the Jewish people with the land of Israel. It's all about the land of Israel and establishing the Jewish people in that land. That's the main theme of the Torah, the story of the historical books like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, the story of writings like Ruth, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and the concern of the prophets who warn that covenant infidelity leads to exile from the land, but that teshuva, repentance, leads to restoration and redemption from exile and an ultimate return to the land and prosperity in the land. This is the literal meaning of the Bible all the way into the New Testament. So I'm emphasizing this point to give you the broader spiritual perspective, to make sense out of the news and out of the world today, and so that you can understand what is happening on the streets of America, in Europe, in the Middle East, on our college campuses, in the United Nations, and all over the world. There's a blatant and unconcealed agenda to deny the Jewish people any right to live in the land of Israel. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, means that all Jews living in Israel must either go into exile among the nations or die. That's the agenda. 
People have no idea why they are supporting this agenda. It makes no sense that they are supporting this agenda, while ignoring the injustices perpetrated against legitimately oppressed people groups all over the world where real genocides are routinely being exercised, but nobody objects. Yet here is something that the whole world is ready to agree upon, that Palestine must be free, as in, as in, free of Jews. From where does this universal agenda derive? Well, from the secular perspective, that's a whole complex story, and I'm happy to educate you about it if you would like to hear me rant on and on about the Palestinian Intifada, Muslim Jihad, Soviet propaganda, Marxist ideologies, academic pontification, and so forth. Or the Zoomer generation and how this is being powered not through any educational agenda as much as it is, or historical information as much as it is through memes and vibes derived from TikTok. Memes and vibes. Okay, and that's the secular explanation. But I find a common thread that connects all these players and all these disparate agendas and motivations, and that is a single focused purpose to wage war against God, against the Bible, and against the Jewish people by taking the land of Israel and denying the Jewish people's rights to inherit the land. It's a spiritual war on a level that we have not seen since the build-up to World War II. A spiritual war in which we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, the Sarim, these four angels ascending and descending. There's something supernatural about this unnatural and otherwise inexplicable universal hatred for Israel and Zionism. It's satanic. It's demonic. It's unrelenting. You know, it says in the prophecies of Ezekiel that as long as the Jewish people are in exile, outside of the land of Israel, that God's name is profaned among the nations. That's what it says. And this is why we pray, and our Master taught us to pray, may your name be sanctified. Hallowed be thy name means may your name be sanctified. The prophet Ezekiel explains that when God brings the Jewish people back into the land of Israel and settles them in his, in his land, then his name is sanctified among the nations. That's the power of the redemption for which we pray and for which we long. When we say, your name be sanctified. Let your name be sanctified. We are praying that God should send the Messiah, the Redeemer, who sanctifies God's name by gathering the exiles from the four corners of the world, gathering them into the land of Israel in the great ingathering and final redemption. And that is the role of King Messiah. If he accomplishes this, says the Rambam, then he is certainly the Messiah. That's what it means when we say, sanctified be thy name. So on a spiritual level, the agenda is not to free Palestine or the plight of the Palestinian people. 
or the fight against Westernism or colonialism. On a spiritual level, on a supernatural level, this is about God's name. It's about God's reputation. It's about sanctifying God's name or profaning God's name. As the master began his work of proclaiming the gospel message, the good news message, he went to the synagogue, his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And the Haftarah portion happened to be from Isaiah 61. And he read this programmatic text in the synagogue of Nazareth from Isaiah 61 and applied it to his own person saying, Today, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. I want to read it to you in its fullness so that you understand how Yeshua saw his own job. He said, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That is the Jubilee, the favorable year of the Lord. This is the programmatic text for the master's messianic mission and what he intends to accomplish. To bring good news to the afflicted of Israel. That is the exiles of Israel. To bind up those brokenhearted over the exile of Israel. To proclaim liberty to those who are taken captive in the deportations of the exiles of Israel. To free prisoners of the Jewish people taken prisoner by the nations and by their enemies in times of exile. That is the, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's saying. You have to read the rest of the prophecy. The rest of the prophecy, Yeshua certainly read the rest of the prophecy. He didn't just read three verses. He certainly read the full text of the prophecy, even though Luke truncates it down to just the essential first few verses. But he would have read on for a Haftarah portion. Listen to the rest. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. That is the day of redemption, the day of the Lord. To comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins these are the, the ruins of the cities of the land of Israel. They will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. These are the nations. Foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called priests of the Lord. This is the role of the Jewish people to be a, 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 a priest of a, a, a nation of priests. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God, and you will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. The double portion for which Yaakov wrestled. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess 
a double portion in their land. In their land, everlasting joy will be theirs. This was the mission of our Master Yeshua, is the mission of our Master Yeshua. From the perspective of our Master Yeshua, from the perspective of the apostles and the New Testament writers, this is the good news, the good news of the redemption of Israel that puts Israel back into the land and ultimately results in everlasting joy. Everlasting joy, that is, eternal life. The Messianic era and the world to come. New Jerusalem. That's the final goal of the redemption. I know the church wants to skip skip straight to the everlasting life part without all that awkward, uncomfortable stuff about a chosen people, the Jewish nation, election, a promised land, a geopolitical kingdom, an earthly inheritance in the land, and real estate rights. But you can't skip past the part about the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Everyone wants to go up the ladder to heaven. But here's the meaning of the dream. The ladder to heaven is really about the land of Israel. The top is in heaven, but the bottom of the ladder is planted in the land, and it's resting upon Yaakov in the land of Israel, so that Yaakov says, How awesome is this place! And I did not know it. This is the very house of God. Today, we seem to be dropping back into the nightmare. The sun seems to be going down. And the four beasts seem to be rising, the sarim, the angelic princes, ascending and descending. The whole world is on fire. According to the prophets, things could get a lot worse in the days to come. I anticipate that they might. May God spare us. In the days to come, therefore, We need to be really looking out for each other and setting aside the petty divisions and hurt feelings and personal agendas that divide community and start looking after one another and really clinging to one another in the love of our master as communities like this community of Beth Emmanuel will become essential to to the survival of those who cling to the testimony of Yeshua and the commandments of God. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Do extra mitzvot, extra prayers, extra tefillah, extra tehillim, extra psalms, extra love. And focus yourself, always, every day, on the light of the rising sun, the light of dawn, when the, when the sun rises upon Yaakov. If we must pass through the night, Let's resolve to do so together for the sake of our children and our children's children. Angels are ascending and descending. These things should not be alarming to us. Rather, this is the message we have been proclaiming all along. Nor should these things frighten us or discomfit us because we are looking toward the conclusion of the matter, which culminates in eternal life, the kingdom, and the world to come. This is the message we proclaim. Yeshua the Messiah, crucified, 
risen from the dead, now seated in glory, coming in power to redeem his people, to overturn the nations and raise the dead. Our Haftarah portion concedes that atrocities may befall us, but it also, it also consoles us from the hand of Sheol, I do ransom them. From death, I redeem them. O death, where is your victory? O Sheol, where is your sting? These words from our Haftarah find their way into 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Take on my yoke And learn from me And find rest for your soul 